0: this week's podcast from Church on the Rock. We hope that it will challenge and inspire you to be a more passionate follower of Jesus. For more information about Church on the Rock, visit us at cotrcalera.com. I heard a story about a little boy who was, was, you know, it was was Christmas season, it was Christmas time, and and, you know, he was getting ready for the Christmas season and everything, and and he wanted a bike for Christmas really, really badly. So he wanted a, a brand new bike, and so what he decided to do um, is that he was going to talk to Jesus um, and, and ask Jesus. But here's the, here's the problem, though. This kid was kind of a really bad kid, um, and he knew that he was a bad kid. Uh, you know, it's like some kids are really bad, and they just don't know it. And then some kids are really bad, and they know it, right? You know what I'm saying? So this one kind of knew it. So he, he sits down to write a letter to Jesus, and he, sa- he starts off. He says, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, I'll be good for a whole week. And then he thinks about it for a second. He crosses, he crosses it out, and he says, he, he writes back. He says, Okay, um, I can be good. Um, I can't be good for a whole week but I'll be good for five days. He thinks about that for a little bit, and he's like, yeah, five days, that's a little bit tough. Uh, So he crosses that out, and he says, okay, Jesus, I'll be good for four days. Then he thinks about it, and again he says, well, I can't do that. And he he gets down one day, and as he's writing, he's thinking, okay, and he's thinking to himself, you know what, I can't even be good For one day, what am I going to tell Jesus why he needs to give me this bike? So then, after thinking about it for a while, in frustration, he goes to his mother's room and he finds a statue of Mary. He wraps it in a blanket, puts it in a paper bag and throws it under his bed and then begins to write, Dear Jesus, if I get a bike for Christmas, if I don't get a bike for Christmas, you'll never see your mother again. I'm not sure that's how it works. Just uh, just letting you guys know that. All right. Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 46. We'll read here a story. Um, actually, it's um, kind of Mary as she is. Um, she begins to sing this song, basically, is what happens is she begins to sing a song. And it's after she has already found out that she is going to. Um, become pregnant with this um, this Savior, this this child that's going to come. And uh, so we're going to pick up in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, and, and go through 55. And, and it says right here, and then Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has... He has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. I think that, man, it's just interesting when you hear kind of the terminology, this, this, um, this young girl and her relationship with God and the way that she interacts with God and the way that she, she talks to God. She's like, the way that you have had mercy on this, bond slave like how many of us consider ourselves to be bond slaves of god right i mean do we re- you know you know what i'm saying i mean like but in a way the bible does say that we're like bond servants we're supposed to be like bond servants that we are connected that we are grafted to him that we are indebted to him in our life to live for him it's just interesting the perspective that she has which probably really shows the frame of mind that she has, which really put her in a position to find the favor of God in the first place, right? All right? But she says, uh, for, for he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, and he has exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. He sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given hope to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. This is... The Bible records this as a song that Mary sings. This is something that she sings. And I think that there is some interesting aspects of of kind of what she's going along saying right here. Um, and, and as we're, you know, we've kind of come over uh, the past couple of weeks in November. You know, we, were having, we, we did a sermon series called Good, Good Father. And just talking about how God is good at his very core, at the very nature of God, who God is. God is a good God, and and there are things in our life that may not make sense. There are are questions that we have that we can't find the answers to. There are things that happen in this world that kind of puzzle our mind and make us, you know, really question or doubt things. But at the end of it all, while while we see a lot of stuff that's happening out in this world that just doesn't add up and just doesn't make sense, in the end, one of the things that we see about God's word is that the Bible says over and over and over again, it speaks to the goodness of God. And here we are in December looking at um, this, this moment in time where, where, like today is the beginning of the Advent, right? The, the, the uh, anticipation of what is to come, that we're going to celebrate the, the, the Savior Christ child that's born, what we celebrate on the 25th. It's, and so today begins the advent of this this great, and what it, what it is is it 's talking about, and we see the same in the scripture it 's talking about the good news, right I mean when the angels showed up to the shepherds, I, I bring you good news of great joy for all mankind, right? It was was good news for all mankind. So this really good, good father that we know and we see in scripture, and, and even though God is just, he is also good. And even though there are problems with our world as a result of disobedience and sin, it doesn't eliminate or erase the goodness of God. And even in his goodness, he, in this moment, this time, we celebrate the good news of God that He, he announced the fact that Jesus was coming to be born and He was going to be the Savior of all mankind. And He spoke this word to Mary, and Mary begins to... to um, to to sing this thing and uh, begin to sing this song and and she talks about for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name and his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Okay? That he has filled the hungry with good things. And and she goes on and on to speak about the goodness and the greatness of God. And Mary has this song. As a matter of fact, this song is one of the eight most ancient songs of Christianity. One of the Eight most ancient songs, and we've never sang it here. As a matter of fact, it's not going to be on Hillsong's latest album. You know. But if you go back and just kind of study the history of the Christian church, we see that it's one of the eight most ancient songs of Christianity. And sure, you know what, it doesn't sing about Rudolph, and it doesn't sing about roasting chestnuts and all of the other things like that. Um, but she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced. My spirit is rejoicing. You see, Christianity, this whole faith that we have, is not something that you choose, but it is something that is done for you, right? It's it's and, and even John speaks this, not that you love God, but that God loved you. Don't ever pin a rose on your nose thinking that somehow you figured out a way to lift yourself out of your miry clay, because it didn't work like that. It wasn't like one day you woke up and you became the wisest person in the world and decided to go find Jesus. No, in the end, Jesus came and found you. And if it wasn't for the fact that God sent his only son and gave his only son and did something for you, you would never be in a place where you could go to him in the first place. You see, Christianity is not about what you've done, and it's not about how great you are and about how your life and and the things that you've done in your life to make yourself so wise and so great and so smart and so amazing. It's not any of those things. Christianity is about what God has done for you, and it's always been about what he has done for you. Always. Always. So Mary declares the mightiness of God, the holiness of God, the mercifulness of God. And the and she says, this is upon all who worship him from generation to generation, upon all the, the might of God, the holiness of God, and the mercifulness of God. And it's upon all those who fear him, all those who worship him from generation. What you don't, know, um, when you think about Christmas, you have your favorite Christmas songs, right? Um, Frosty the Snowman, right? Favorite. Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Jingle Bells. I'm Dreaming of a White Christmas. Or maybe it's um, like my oldest son's favorite song, All I Want for Christmas by Mariah Carey. I don't know if I should be disappointed or not. I think there's a little bit inside of me that dies when I, when I announced that. <clears throat> uh-huh. There are, you know, Christmas, uh, gosh, I mean, there's some of you, listen, you started, you started singing. you were, you had the Christmas music playing in your house like November 1st. You're like, forget Thanksgiving, just, I'm, it's 95 point whatever, I don't even know, seven or something like that, and it's just all Christmas music all the time. All right, And I, sadly enough to say that my wife is really close to there. I mean, it's probably not November 1st, but somewhere in November she switches over and it's all Christmas from there. Okay. Um, but we all have these songs. It's an incredible season of just kind of family time. You just from Thanksgiving all the way through the Christmas season, it's an incredible time of of just kind of celebrating and being thankful and being around, you know, family and it kind of enjoying. It's probably some of the, the, I mean, it's probably your favorite time of the year, right? I mean... I mean, if you're a kid, it's for sure your favorite time of the year, right? And, and even as an adult, it's just the, the stuff that kind of comes along with it, unless there's, you know, some real heartache and brokenness that comes along with this season, which can happen. For the most part, a lot of, it, a lot of us have, you know, fond memories of this time of the year and, and all that kind of brings along with it and the songs that we sing in the midst of it and the celebration and the cheer and the joy that comes along with all of it. And while all of those songs are great and really good, they really never make your soul better, okay? And, and of course, you know, there's some Christmas songs that are surrounded by the Christmas message, and some of those things are really great. But this moment when Mary sings this song, okay, it, she is singing it out of the abundance of her experience, this experience that she has had with an angel that it begins to declare to her this favor and this promise of God that God is going to use her to bring about this Savior boy that's going to be born into a world and it's going to change everything about the world that she knows. She begins to sing it out of her experience. And the truth be known, is that's, that's what makes songs powerful anyways is when, when you can experience the words of those songs when you sing a worship song and, and, and you're going through the valleys and, and then you sing a song, I will praise you in the valleys and the highlands all the same. That even when I'm going through my lowest of lows, God, I'll still praise you. And th- That's what makes those songs powerful is when we experience them in our own lives. And that w- is what Mary was going through here. And what did she experience? She experienced that God is mighty. That means that God can. She experienced that God was holy and that God must do something. And she experienced that God was merciful, showing her that God wants to. And so let's talk about these three things here. Because she declares it, okay. In 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 the passage um in, in starting to verse forty nine, here Mary says, For the mighty one has done great things. He's mighty. And holy is his name; he's holy, and his mercy he's merciful is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Okay, okay. And mighty is his name; God is mighty, for the mighty one has done great things. You know, if somebody were to, if somebody were to tag you with the job, district, uh, job description of how God would become a man, okay? Let's say you were given the responsibility to figure out how can God become a man, okay? More than likely, you wouldn't write the story the way God decided to write the story, I mean, right? You would, you would decide that, well, like he, maybe he would show up as the ruler of the earth, right? You know, and show all of his power and all of his might. Or maybe he would be born amongst a king, you know, where he could be raised in royalty and treated like a, a king that he is. And, all, you know, we would have these grandiose ideas that if God really came down and became a man, this is how I would do it. But in all of that, God chose to do something different than all of those things. God chose to become a man in a way that, that, that we would probably never suspect or imagine even in our wildest dreams. When you think that God is mighty, you would think about the universe and all, that, all of the heavens and all that, that God did to create just a small portion of the heavens. That this same God who became a man spoke the universes and galaxies into existence. He spoke those things into existence. And yet we find here that he finds a, uh, that there is an angel who appears to a girl, a young girl who is engaged and says that you're going to carry the son of God. So this great and powerful God chooses to become a speck in conception. This great, powerful God that spoke everything to existence chose to become a speck to be born into a world that was cruel that was brutal I mean right you don 't i mean think about think about the dangers maybe maybe it would have been safer for God to allow the Savior to be born in today 's world in America, where at least there's you know some some sense of um, you know uh, humanity there, right, where kings aren't sending out their soldiers to kill all the firstborn children, right, because that's what happened. Herod tried to kill all the firstborn children and tried to kill Jesus. I mean, think about the brutality that Jesus was born into a world you know, that was in a sense survival of the fittest and it was just dangerous and they didn't have the doctors and the medicines that we have today and, the, and all the complications and the things that could have happened all along the way. Now, of course, I mean, if it is God, there's not going to be complications and dangers because he's going to take care of it all. But you still got to think about the way in which God decided to become a man. I mean, to, to be born in such a small, insignificant way. To be born in that, in, in a major. He wasn't born in a five-star hotel with room service or any of those kinds of things. As a matter of fact, there was no room for him in any hotel. He had to be born in a barn, basically, right? I mean, you heard the expression, you've been you born in a barn, right? You tell your kids they leave the door, you're born in a barn. Jesus was born in a barn. <clears throat> He was born in a barn. Jesus, the son of God, the one who spoke everything to existence. This is how he chooses to come into the world. None of us would write this. And yet we see the mightiness of God on display in the sense that he says, I'm going to put my child here, okay, so that everybody can see that I can do great things. It's not how you would write it out if you weren't God. But Mary begins to experience the mightiness of God. You see, God chooses, He chooses as the Son of God become the, to become the Son of Man so that the children of man might become the children of God. Mary was experiencing the might of God Almighty. And what is this might? what is this might that god can save you you see christianity is not about you becoming a nicer person it's about you experiencing god and you experiencing the might of god uh, as his presence brings change into your life okay the mightiness of god the greatness of god is that god can save you he can save you and when i say like save You know, like, um, in Romans, it says, uh, you know, Paul writes, um, I believe in the power of God for it is the, um, I I believe in the gospel for it is the, the gospel is the good news. Okay. The gospel means good news. I believe in the good news for it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. All right. That word save in the original Greek language, um, means many different things. So that passage could say, um, I, I believe in the gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to deliver everyone who believes. For it is the power of God to heal everyone who believes. For it is the power of God to uh, bring soundness to everyone who believes. For it is the power of God to free everyone who believes. Okay? That all of these things um, are, are that, that word salvation that we interpret, that we bring into the English language as, as saved. The, the original Greek words means uh, to, to be saved, to be delivered, to be set free, to, be, to have soundness, to have wholeness, to be healed, um, not only mentally but also physically. So we see this, thing, that Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it is the power of God to do all of these things for anyone who believes. And this is what we see as the beginning of that with Jesus coming here to the earth. This is the good news. It is the might of God where he comes to become a man so that he can live his life on this earth as a sinless man. To die on a cross in our place. To be the perfect spotless lamb. To eradicate the curse of sin. And to overcome the effects of sin and death. And he does all all right here in the beginning. We see the might of God. Mary experiences the might of God. And she begins to sing about the might of God. And the might of God is for us today. That no matter what you're going through and no matter where you find yourself in life, the might of God is powerful enough to save you, to deliver you, to heal you, to preserve you, to bring soundness to your mind, to bring healing to your spirit, to your soul, or any other area of your life. It is the power of God, the might of God that can do all of that. And it's because God can. He can. He can. The second thing we see her say is that he is holy. She says, and holy is his name. Holy holy, holy literally means that God is opposed to any form of self-centeredness or self-damaging approach to living. That's what it means. The holiness of God holy. means that God is against anything um, any any form of self-centeredness or self-damaging approach to life. In other words, like we could say like this, that God hates sin. And the reason why God hates sin is because that sin is a self-centered, self-damaging approach to life. Alright? And, and it's and we know that there, there is a certain amount of pleasure that comes along with it. There's a certain amount of appeasing of the flesh. And it makes you feel good on the inside. All right? But it's just like chocolate laced with poison. It tastes good going down. But it's damaging to the spirit and to the soul. It hurts our inner man. It hurts who we are on the inside. And God knows that these things bring damage to us. And it's the reason why his, in his holiness he says, I hate these things. I hate these things because they are damaging to us. It's much like this. It's much like a doctor who hates cancer. He hates cancer because it destroys and kills. We hate cancer because it destroys and kills the one who we love. Imagine this. Imagine a doctor being irritated with someone who has cancer. Come on, man. Why did you have to go get cancer? What's the matter with you? Get your head on! What are you doing? Stop doing that. Stop acting like that. Stop getting cancer. Like that would be the stupidest thing that we ever heard. Like, there's no doctor that acts this way, right? Because his irritation is not towards the person who has cancer, it towards it's towards the cancer itself. And what we have here is the same God. His holiness, all right, is 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 not just a standard or a principle it is that god must do something all right that god god hates sin in our life the way a doctor hates cancer in a patient it doesn't mean that god hates you it doesn't mean that, um, that that he hates you or, or any of those kinds of things, but he hates the sin, the the, the the effects of sin, because he knows that you've allowed yourself to become deceived by the enemy who has tempted you and brought you into, you know, believing a lie that you can live this way and not affect you. So God hates, number one, the enemy, okay, who obviously tempts us in sin and allows us to get, but he also hates the sin itself because he knows the damaging Effect it has on our life, and this is the same way that God, that like, the same way a physician is towards a patient. You see, a great physician loves his patients, but also hates the disease that is destroying the patients. You see, so God became a man. Listen, God became a man because His holiness establishes that He must do something. If God hates the sin, and the sin. It's what hurts us, then God has to do something about the sin. His holiness establishes that He must do something. And what he did was he became a man. You see, the first Adam messed it up. He gave in into temptation. When the, when the devil came to tempt him to sin, he gave in into temptation. Jesus became the second Adam. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness three times, and all three times he, he denied his flesh and his fleshly desires, and he didn't give in to temptation. Then he lived his life, a perfect life, became the spotless lamb. You see, his holiness established that he must do something, and because he must do something, okay, he decided to take our place. Take our place to pay the price that we should have to pay. All right, he must do something. God became a man so he could destroy the selfless approach to living that is so damaging to our life. You see, there is no salvation without the holiness of God. Because it's not about your holiness. It's not about your goodness. The Bible says that on your best day, you could sell all you have, give it all to the poor. You could go in a mission field. You could do all those things. And on your best day, your your righteousness is like filthy rags. It's not good enough. Because there is no salvation without the holiness of God. And holiness, listen, holiness is not a reason for God to judge us. It is his motivation to save us. Holiness is not God's reason to judge you. It is his motivation to find a way to save you. To pull you out of your problems. To pull you out of your selfishness of your self-centeredness, to pull you out of all of those things in your life. God is motivated because of his holiness to do something for you. And what did he do? He chose to leave his heavenly surroundings, to become a man, okay? I mean, really, to become a baby, to depend on some teenagers to raise him. Lord, he would be hopeless if it were my teenagers. <clears throat> um, I think I had kids when I was like 23, and I was like, I mean, my kids are just lucky enough to survive, I think, you know? I mean, <clears throat> Jesus de- was, he was dependent upon teenagers to, to raise him, to protect him. And look, you think Jesus could protect himself at six months? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, maybe, I guess, I, I don't know. I mean, but... <laughs> I mean, probably not. I don't know. I, that's that's kind of how I feel, I guess. Um, and he did all that to put himself in a position where he could take our place, where he could pay the price of our sin so that we could have a way to God. So that you could have a way. All right? Rob, if you'll go ahead and... And the final thing here that... Um, um, that Mary sings about is is that he is merciful. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Um, you see, God's mercy is that he wants to, all right? You see, God is mighty in that he can. God is holy in that he must do something. His motive, his holiness motivates him to do something and God is merciful because he wants to listen it's not just because he has to it's because he wants to isn't there a big difference between somebody having to do something and somebody wanting to do something right I mean right if you ever ask your kids to do something like clean your room and they have to do it I mean it's like gosh stop stop just do it but it's like it's an incredible thing when they actually want to, like wow, you know, like uh, when they they have to dress up and look good, you know that 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 preteen you know, eight to 12 year old where they just will throw on anything that they have. My guys in particular, anything they have, and they don't really care if they look good. They don't care if they match or any of those kinds of things. And now, uh, you know, because they got to look cool everywhere they go, they like want to look, look good. Now I don't have to have that struggle anymore because there's a big difference. One is they had to, and it was like, no, oh, I don't want to wear this. And I stopped. That. Okay. Now they want to look good. There's a big difference. You know, like if, if, if Crystal asked me to go get her a drink, there's a big difference in my attitude when I like have to do it. Like, oh, you know, gosh, why can't she go get that drink herself? You know, that kind of thing. You know, she got two legs at work. <clears throat> right? And there's a big difference when I want to. Like, no, no, yeah, I want to go get you a drink because I want to serve you. I want to help you. There's a big difference there, right? There's a big difference in motivation. And that's what we see about God. Not only does God, not, not only does his holiness demand that he must do something, okay, but his mercy tells us that he wants to, that God wants to do good things. God wants to do good things for you. His mercy says that I want to do, I want, listen, His mercy in mer- he is merciful, his mercies are new every morning. The Psalms sing about it over and over and over again. The mercies of God are new every morning. Every morning, his compassions are new, like it resets every day, because God wants to be merciful. He wants to be good, because God wanted to become a man, to find a way for us to get out of this endless cycle of sacrificial lambs and trying to cover up our sin so that we could be free of the curse of sin, so we could be free of the temptation of the enemy and how he tries to pull us in. Why? Because God wants to. He wanted to. He wanted to send his son. He wanted to come and to take that place and and, and so that you could have freedom. So that you could spend eternity in heaven with him. God wants to. And to me, all this does is continue to highlight just the goodness of God. That He is just so good. I know we've we've kind of talked about it ad nauseum. We, we, We know that. Just because God is good doesn't mean that he's not just. He is just. It's really two sides of the same coin. Actually, because he's good, he has to be just as well. But God God wants to. His mercy declares the fact that God wants to. Our God at his core is loving, merciful, and compassionate. He is at his core, his You know, the Bible says that God is love. God, like, in other words, like, the two words are interchangeable. Like, you can't, it's not that God acts in love. The Bible says that God is love. That he can't help but act in love. That he is, that's just who he is. It's a part of his character, his nature. That God is love; that He is loving; that mercy triumphs over judgment; that God wants to be merciful. God wants to be merciful, and that God loves. And listen, as I was saying earlier, you see, love, love always gives, does it not? Doesn't love always give? I want you to think about the times in your life when you were in love. Doesn't it compel you to give? I mean, think about your life, you know. Doesn't it compel you to give? To give of your time? To give of your energy? To give in ways that maybe you don't normally give? You just give. You want to give right? You, you just want to. It's not a burden anymore. It's something that you enjoy doing. It's something that you want to do. You see, when we act in love, it compels us to give, that we want to give. We want to be a person that is generous. Love compels us to give. And it's no different with God. You see, his love compels him to give. His mercy towards us and his love towards us compels him to give. did he give for God so loved the world listen and we're not talking about the globe when the Bible says the world it means the people of the world for God so loved the people in this world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him to have everlasting life. You see, God's love compels him to give. Jesus goes on to say that if you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father. Again, this compelling idea that, that God gives. Why does he give? Because he loves every good and perfect gift comes from above. What is it? It's a gift. Why? Because God love God's love compels him to give. We give to our children because we love them. We give to our spouses because we love them. Now, maybe sometimes we give out of duty. Maybe sometimes we give because it's just what you do during certain types of the season. And I hope that's not the motivation in why you do what you do. Hopefully the motivation of why you do what you do is because you love. I give to this person because I love them. Because it's the great, you can do all the right things for the wrong reasons and it's still wrong. It's still wrong. You can go to church for all the wrong reasons and it's still wrong. You can give to God for all the reasons and the Bible will tell you it's still wrong. The Pharisees knew how to do all the right things but they did them for the wrong reasons and it was wrong. It was still wrong. So it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter why we do it. And the mercy of God tells us why God does it. It tells us that God does it because He wants to. Because He wants to. Because He loves us. Because He loves you. Because He loves me. That's what we see. We see this song of, of Mary that she sings. For mighty, for the mighty one has done great things for me. That God can. God can save me. It doesn't matter where I am. It doesn't matter what I'm going through. It doesn't matter what I've done in my life. God can rescue me right now where I am. Right now, wherever I am, God can rescue me. Maybe it's because I've been hurt. Maybe it's because I'm going through some difficulty. Maybe it's because of poor decisions that I've made in my own life that have created the problems that I'm dealing with right now. Whatever it is, listen. God can save you. God can save you. In his holiness, holy is his name. His holiness declares the fact that he must do it. In other words, that God is motivated to do something for you because of his holiness and his mercy. His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. Tells us that God wants to do something for you. You see, this time of the year, we should be thinking about what God has done for us. I mean, really, we should be thinking about what God has done for us all the time. You know, not just December, but especially in this season, we should be thinking about what God has done for us. It's not time to think about what you've done. Listen, it's not joy to the world. Look at what I've done. I'm a better person today. It's not not that. It's joy to the world, for unto us a son is given. Joy to the world, for unto us a son is given. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all mankind. That good news is that God is mighty and that he can, he is holy that he must, and he is merciful, that he wants to. And God wants to do it in your life this morning as well. Will you stand to your feet today?